have one third of the library downstairs with me this morning? <laughs> Not really. Seems like it. Mike noticed I was uh, loaded and well tabbed. Too many pockets. I should have had my cargo pants. <laughs> Second John is fascinating in many ways. If you're a trivia person, uh, Steve almost gave it away. It's a very short book. Uh, we could do a two-minute drill, I guess, uh, like they do in football hopefully be a little more involved. Um, we're going to look at it in a uh, building a bridge sense in that John is the Gospel of John writer. He's first John writer. And while he doesn't identify himself, he's the writer of second John or most scholars would concede that, and third John, I think, right? <laughs> um, and I have to clear this up. I did it with my political advisor, Susan, before. It has a strange history where I learned... Uh, in an embarrassing way, I guess, the inappropriate use of scripture. I was a, this is to give me a little space, let me off the hook. I was a six-year-old Christian. I was an 18-year-old young man about to go to college. And that summer, I was a junior counselor at Deerfoot Lodge in Charlie Hawkins, who I haven't seen, I think he's still alive. A number of, sadly, my comrades from Deerfoot have passed on to above, but um, Charlie's still going. I haven't seen him for many years, but he was uh, writing a letter to his girlfriend, and for some reason he made a point and said, I'm going to close with Verse 12 of Second John, I have a lot to write to you. I would prefer not to write a letter. Instead, I hope to visit and talk things over with you personally. Then we will be completely filled with joy. So I was a freshman at college. My, this, there's a sequence here that uh, my guidance counselor knew someone named, my first Susan, uh, named Susan, that was also going to be going to the same college. And uh, so I'm a freshman walking across the campus on whatever orientation week. And um, a guy, and, or two guys and a girl, one of the guys became my roommate, but they were coincidentally, and this was where I first was introduced to Young Life, which is another sidebar, but they were from Milford Mill High School, which for Fame connections, that's the uh, 
high school that Johnny Erickson went, or Joni Erickson went to. But anyway, not, she's not involved in this. Susan and Bucky and Gundy are sitting on the steps and I'm walking by. And for some reason, I stopped and then or they said something to me, I don't know. I said to my daughter, do we have name tagged or something? But, um, and I don't know if she had, Susan of old was primed to meet me or whatever, but I met her that day and had some um, freshman date experience or whatever. I remember going, she was from a Christian, I don't really didn't get to know her well enough to know if she was a Christian, but went to a Sunday night service uh, before the holidays. Came home for the holidays and sent her a note and used this verse. Shortly after Christmas break, went back to school and that relationship ended. So perhaps she deemed it an inappropriate use or I obviously found out it wasn't an appropriate uh, verse to uh, enhance a relationship or whatever with someone. But that's the kind of awkward uh, history that Second John has with me. But it, having read over recently, obviously, I'm going to be in several... Uh, Aspects, even though it's a uh, short 13 verse, and we won't get into that verse again. In fact, Ironside said it's a wonderful close to the letter, but there's no commentary I can put on that. So that's that's it for the 12th verse. But let's uh, read. I'm reading from uh, God's Word translation, so that might be a little different than what you have or whatever. From the church leader to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love because we share the truth. I'm not the only one who loves you. Everyone who knows the truth also loves you. We love you because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Goodwill, mercy, and peace be with us. They come from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, who in truth and love is the Father's Son. I was very happy to find some of your children living in the truth as the Father has commanded us. Dear lady, I'm now requesting that we continue to love each other. It's not as though I'm writing to give you a new commandment, Rather, from the beginning, we were commanded to love each other. Love means that we live by doing what he commands. We were commanded to live in love, and you have heard this from the beginning. Many people who deceive others have gone into the world. They refuse to declare that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and blood. This is the mark of a deceiver and an antichrist. Be careful that you don't destroy what we've worked for, but that you receive your full reward. Everyone who doesn't continue to teach what Christ taught doesn't have 
God. The person who continues to teach what Christ taught has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring these teachings, don't take them into your home or even greet them. Whoever greets them shares the evil things he's done. Just going to stop there. Let's again look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, whether it's a precious letter like this, your word is indeed powerful, and we just pray that you would uh, provoke our thinking, provoke our hearts as we consider again some thoughts about what John was pointing to, but really what the Holy Spirit uh, enabled him to write and advise this lady on in this letter. We thank you for your word and for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Larry actually read um, something this morning about the John and James were the sons of Zebedee, Zebedee, and it was mentioned by someone that they were, um, well, we know Jesus said sons of thunder, and, uh, but it's also mentioned that they were more, that name might come from they were more aggressive or outspoken, and someone even thinks that they're um, fishing. They were a better fishing business or a more prosperous one than what Peter and some of the others had. So they were aggressive men, perhaps, or they came from an aggressive or established family, whatever it is. And it's interesting that he doesn't seem to need to promote himself, whether in the Gospel of John, he's out to focus on the Son of God and establishing that. And so many of the themes that uh, he has uh, through these, through this book or letter and the others of First John and Third John is um, a weaving of a kind of pointing to the positiveness of, of the Lord and a relationship with him. Um, there's the marks of a Christian believer, and I'm not going to necessarily notch all these and just go through, but this will kind of be woven in uh, uh, at the Lord's mercy that he'll enable you to see that. There's... Uh, marks of a Christian or features of a Christian that we'll kind of talk about indirectly or directly. Know God through Jesus Christ, obedient walk in Christ, walk in love that's a brotherly or a reciprocal love, as we'll get into a little bit, and continue in the teaching of Christ. Now this, um, it's interesting, this, speaking of not putting his name out front, there's um, so many anonymous people, and this lady, in a sense, she's a chosen lady, and her children, she has children, and 
trying to get a picture of who she might be in my own mind and understanding where it was and it's estimated or scholarly things she might have been from Ephesus or Miletus and Miletus I just that was simply put immoral city so uh, it sounds like the world today if anything we live in a increasingly immoral world and even our own country, uh, the immorality is running at high speed. But chosen lady, I've thought of her, she could be a widow or more specifically, uh, one who ran a home for children. There's uh, no mention of a... Uh, husband or whatever. And there's three ladies of late that I, I've been uh, in Bible school. We did this book, How to Give Away Your Faith. And one of the stories, if you were there, for one that you'll remember was um, about the woman at the well. It could have been a woman like her. It wasn't her, obviously. This isn't Samaria we're talking about, but that somebody that had five husbands had possibly some children with these husbands and thus had children in her charge. Then there's the widow, as I mentioned. And uh, the other two women that i um, been reading about around, Rosaria Butterfield, who has no children of her own but has a number of foster children. And um, that's another personality that I've read two of her books recently and some thoughts she'll be mentioned. But the one that I wanted to focus was a woman that was in the July missions magazine, Helen Griffin, who is El, El Salvador, and uh, it sounds like New Jersey, if you read the description in the missionary handbook, it's the most densely populated, and it's the smallest. I know we're not the smallest, but uh, it's a very uh, intense uh, country to be in. She's, Helen Griffin's been there 27 years from uh, commendation from British Columbia, I think. But um, the other thing about is, if you notice in the handbook, it'll say the percentage of children or percentage under age 15. 31% of the population is under 15. So there's a lot of children in that density of population. And also it says 20% of Salvadorians or El Salvadorians live out of the country. So that says to me, it's not a good economy, it's a stressful, and I know we've, I don't want to get into it, but all the 
refugee thing. A lot of people said I'm fleeing from crime, poverty, and I forget the third one. But this is not a pretty place to be, but this is beautiful what she writes. Over the years, my ministry has changed from reaching young children to teenagers and now to young adults as all the ones who grew up with me are over age 20. Recently, I legally closed the home for children that I operated for 25 years. Situations brought many changes, and as of December 2017, I applied to adopt the 10 young adults that I have. And it's quite an involved, she's, uh, it's still, this was July letter, so six months she's still, sounds like government anywhere. Um, But please pray for my future here in El Salvador. Uh, Seven of these young people still live with me, while one is in Argentina, two others live here in El Salvador. They are presently involved in university classes, English classes, working call centers, or looking for work. Please pray for each of these young lives that they may continue to grow spiritually. Sounds similar to the situation we're going to be looking into. And she uh, gets down to the close. We're so thankful to the Lord for his wonderful care for us here in El Salvador over the past 27 years. It has not always been easy, but he is always faithful. El Salvador is one of the most dangerous countries in the world, if not the most dangerous to live in. God has kept kept us safe through so much. Praise him. So I'm going to look, or we'll look, if you will, (coughs) that this might be a similar situation, that this chosen lady or dear lady uh, with her children is serving the Lord. She became a Christian, obviously, somewhere. This is approximately the latter part of the first century of the church. And uh, John... In his, he was basically thought to be like an itinerant preacher who moved about and uh, obviously uh, ministered specifically to her <coughs> and these children. Um, what was the, the link, and hopefully uh, a link that many of us, if not all, have today with the people that he wrote? He says, I'm not only the one who loves you, everyone who knows the truth also loves you. That they were linked and were linked <coughs> in the truth, the knowledge, the knowledge of the truth of the Lord Jesus. How critical that is in the age of uh, fake news and <coughs> whatever. There's the good news that's still giving us the truth about the Lord Jesus and what he did and what uh, John wants her to go on and 
be found <coughs> in this relationship with those that know the truth. Paul Little, in the book, I don't think I read this <laughs> during uh, the Bible school time, but he writes about three types of faith, and hopefully all, if not uh, all, that you aren't one of the third reading or description that you'll soon become the first one is a faith where those who could be described as indoctrination faith. These are people who, without making a personal commitment to Christ, go through all the motions, sing all the right hymns, have all the right answers about the gospel. They have been well-schooled from early childhood and Sunday school classes, kids club, and never missed a church service. Indoctrination faith could describe the kid. They've absorbed every answer they've ever heard, can teach classes, give sermons. They've got all the information, but that's all they've got. Then there's a second uh, Christian by Paul Little's definition or a type of faith, conformity faith. This faith is largely an outgrowth of a strong Christian surrounding. On Sunday, these people go to Bible classes, worship service, hear the Bible expanded. During the week, they attend other church meetings and contribute with the best of them. They may do all the right things and none of the wrong things, but only because of the external pressure of family and church. Some mysterious sort of osmosis is supposed to make these people spiritual, but in fact, there's no genuine desire from within. The third faith is what Paul Little calls the commitment faith. Those who recognize that to be a Christian is more than giving mental assent to the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. Demons do that much, as James 2.19 tells us. They believe in one God and tremble. Merely believing the facts is not in itself saving faith. On the other hand, people who have commitment faith are genuine followers of Jesus Christ and are committed to him on a double or nothing basis. And then in what we want to really think, these, rather than being influenced by the environment, they exert influence on the environment. And obviously, we consider this chosen lady one of those who's made a commitment, faith in the Lord. And Second John 1 revolves around that and 
it's, again, two key words, knows the truth and the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. How significant that is. It's as sadly, many people will say today, I know this, I know what it, I know what about, I know the historical, but it's irrelevant to me. They've, they've missed the personal application of what Jesus wants to do for us all, to bring us into that relationship. Then, in my summary, the next section is living in the truth. And uh, verse 5 says, Dear lady, I'm now requesting that we continue to love each other. It's not as though I'm writing to give you a new commandment. Rather, from the beginning, we were commanded to love each other. And we know, hopefully, this is not the whatever love of the world today. It's the agape love, the sacrificial love that the Lord Jesus um, demonstrated at the cross. And it's interesting that it says, give you a new commandment. And even Christ himself, we're going to see in another verse, <coughs> spoke as a new commandment. But if we, I think it's Leviticus 19, there's that verse about loving our neighbor, loving <coughs> one another. So in that historical sense, it doesn't seem like a new commandment. But the Lord Jesus, by way he brings it about, and I think, Interestingly, uh, Rutherford, we sang hallelujah. I think he's responsible for the text in that song. And he had an interesting encounter with a bishop. And it was, um, he was getting uh, grief about um, how he was putting forth the truth and so forth. And uh, this rainy night, someone comes to his door and asks, can I stay for the night? And it um, is unknown to him who he is. He doesn't even identify himself. And he said, we're going to have devotions. And uh, he said, no problem with that. I'll, I'll join you in that. And uh, they get into something talking about the Ten Commandments. And um, the guy says, there's the Eleventh Commandment. And that Rutherford like, whoa, wait a minute. There's Ten Commandments. That's pretty clear. And then he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. And um, that's what he meant. And then he found out that this guy was a bishop 
of who he was kind of alienated with, and that stuck in his mind. But it's critical to see that it's not, again, we're so overdone with uh, what love is or isn't that the love of God is a very special. Um, he said, Jesus himself, in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And what is that love? That was in, as we know, that great group of chapters, the upper room discourse, 13, 14, 15, 16. But... Um, Primarily, 13 was the washing of his feet, not being so, like we said this morning, or read uh, those verses. And Jesus was not afraid to humble himself, to become obedient unto death, to show the, the sacrificial love for us, to bring us to himself and to God. And even... Uh, in our Thessalonian study, we had that. You've been taught by God, example of God, to love each other. And then, of course, at the cross was really what Jesus was pointing to, that the example of service, yes, but giving his life. How often, uh, like we know, the scripture says, most of us would give our life for a good man, but for a sinner, God was the whole world, a death for the whole world. Second John 6, verse 6, his command is that you walk in love. And this is really where you get uh, literally, wear the sandals or the car if you're in a car, where the rubber meets the road. Where, where is your walk in love? In 1 John 5, 3, one of the bridge verses I was talking about, and uh, this is love for God to obey his commands. Some people would say, do you have to obey to get the love? No, it's the love of God has been put to us. Once we put our faith and belief in the Lord Jesus, that love is, as it were, put into us. And John 14, this is really the, the pivotal verse, if you will. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I know if any of you, there's a wonderful track. Uh, Paul Little was heavily involved in InterVarsity at one time. I uh, think that How to Give Away Your Faith book was generated from it many of his experiences as an university rep before he became a professor at a trinity, I think. But um, how significant 
it is to make our home with him. And that brings us to what's our home and what home do we offer for him to come, come into the home. And there's an intervarsity track. I think I tried to find it, if it's still in print, but it's my heart, Christ's home. Hopefully all of you have made that commitment to know, acknowledge the salvation, the offer of a relationship is in opening your heart, inviting the Lord Jesus. It's old dog that I am. It sometimes sounds so simple that I think people trip on that. It was a great cost, but for us, it's if you will only believe. It says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And the Father is just waiting to make that home in our hearts to, uh, to fill us with that love that can make a difference. And you might say, well, what is that love? I kind of, and um, Lehman Strauss in one of the books, he put that the Greek text, one another, is a reciprocal pronoun. And I should defer to my daughter, who's the English major and master's in English. But in my primitive seventh grade English, that's, I think that's the last time I was conscious of what English was, or certainly not Greek. But the reciprocal meaning, and this is really bad, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And it's obviously much, that's a very sad example of reciprocal love. But in today's context, I think in the service we had earlier today, we, we reciprocate love back to the Lord, as it were, but also to one another. It's loving one another and just how you sing or what you sing or what you ask to sing or how you pray or whatever, if you're sitting there just quietly meditating on a passage. I believe the Holy Spirit takes all of that and just, generates that into a wonderful, hate to use the word, love feast, but because um, that's another way the world is trashed love. But it's interesting. Uh, I will read First uh, Corinthians 13 that J.B. Phillips, I have to reduce one of my texts here. (laughs) But if you read that in any verses 4 to 7, it speaks of how special the love that you and I have once we come to the Lord, how that relates out. It's not a a self-achievement. It's going out to others, doing something for someone else. It may be just praying, but that's 
a prayer of love for someone else. It may be picking them up. It may be uh, taking them to the doctor, whatever. Or, as I said, I think the worship service. And if you're not here, you really should come. It's a beautiful way in which the Holy Spirit orchestrates the love of God to us and back. There's a wonderful reciprocation love going on during that communion service. There was a uh, missionary that was translating uh, the word love and that they couldn't, they kept trying this and that, speaking to tribal uh, people, trying to find a word and uh, one of the tribal members said, oh, you mean to have his interest inside of me. And that's the special love that Jesus wants us to follow on, to build on, to walk on in our walk with him and among one another. Now we get to the hard part or crusty part. Second John 7. Many deceivers, and this translation have gone, they refuse to declare that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and blood. In other words, they're the, as it says further down, they're the Antichrist. They're against Christ. They don't, he might have been a ghost, he might have been this or that, but they're totally against the Lord Jesus. And even in 1 John 4, 2, 3, the Apostle John, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming, and even now is in the world. In those chapters, if you remember, there's a lot about, I'm going home, I'm going out of the world, but the Lord Jesus said, I'm leaving you a helper. And that's probably one of the most beautiful things about the love of that were not abandoned to so many children of the Lord, whether they're young or old, um, or people without today uh, the Lord. There's a sense of where am I? Who, who's looking out for me? But the Lord Jesus has provided that helper. And as someone said, He's even, we have the Lord Jesus to intercede on our behalf. That's the most beautiful. And then this helper also is to, like a defense lawyer. Even when we go off the rails and slip into sin or are uh, deceived in some way and do sin, uh, he's there with the Holy Spirit to help us. What do we do in this uh, time? 
of uh, the Antichrist, the against Christ. Satan hasn't let up at all. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield writes in The Gospel Comes to the House Key, Sin is deceptive, and Christ's own do fall in deception, into deception, delusion, and power of sin. And even in Genesis 4-7, way back with uh, Cain and Abel, Cain is warned, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And it's not, again, I have to do. The relationship is a being relationship, being found in the walk in truth, getting into the word. Um, Hudson Taylor said, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument. Begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. I learned, thankfully, that that was one of the greatest blessings, I think, of learning to have a quiet time uh, at camp when I was a counselor or camper first. That was a value button that they always pushed at Deerfoot, and I'm sure it's at Airpoint. Thankfully, there's nothing, in my opinion, that is better than starting. Now, everybody, it's not like, whoa, I can't do that, but have a time, whether it's end or everybody, in Hudson Taylor's case, likes to do it first, but make sure that you uh, have a time where you're getting in, you're soaking in the word, you're you're praying over the word, whatever it may be, but you're getting the words there for that purpose. God provided the helper to get into the word. The, the helper, it's just the more you think about it, it's like everything. God's blessings of help or encouragement are just over, over the top if we will just let them. Uh, I think it was Ruth Graham wrote that uh, in the prayer closet, there's so many items that nobody's ever asked for in heaven because they didn't commune in the right, or didn't even, should I ask for that, or whatever. Maybe the Lord encourages us, ask whatever you will. And even more amazing he said, we'll do greater, you will do greater things than I have. And that's not because of some super strength or character or whatever. It's the Holy Spirit working through us or you or me. Where are you? Are you anchored in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? Maybe the more famous verse of John, Rosaria Butterfield was speaking or writing about her mother. She said, Mom, or saying to her, Mom, I think you understand the gospel, but because you don't know the shepherd, it seems like nonsense to you. So I would encourage you 
don't miss the shepherd. He's there. Uh, again, John's Gospel, John 10, the shepherd chapter, the good shepherd. All those I am, and he really wants you to walk. It's embarrassing, I know, to some people. I don't want to be called a sheep. They're dumb and whatever, but it's more the need. You need a sheep, needs a shepherd. A Christian to walk needs the Lord and, and his help. Let's just persevere to that end, to walk in the truth and the love of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your capacity, your great love, that as we thought earlier today to humble yourself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross, so that you might pay for our sins and offer us a relationship with you and the Father that is just so amazing that you want to make your home in our hearts and our lives and our church. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.